worms. That's nothing new to us. But jumping worms, on the other hand, they just may be. Jumping worms are newer to Wisconsin and can be mistaken as a small snake. I'm Charity Seebecker with the Midwest Farm Report. P.J. Leash, director of the UW-Madison Insect Diagnostic Lab and state entomologist, says while similar to earthworms, the jumping worms have very unique behaviors. So what the jumping worm is, is it is a type of earthworm, but it's not native to our area. It turns out these particular earthworms happen to be from parts of East Asia. They've actually been in the U.S., we think, for maybe around 100 years or so, give or take, especially more in the eastern parts of the country. But we first found them here in Wisconsin, actually in the Madison area, back in about 2013. So we've had them in the state about a decade, and they have spread around pretty well. And and really by spread, I should say, humans have moved them around the state pretty well. Uh, Somewhere in the ballpark of about 50 or so counties have known detections of jumping worms at this point. Their name is jumping worms. So they actually jumping or what is that phenomenon that they got that name for? Yeah, see, you really bring up an interesting point about their biology. When you first see a jumping worm, uh, it might be possible to even mistake it for a small snake thrashing around very, very violently and flinging its body around. Uh, They have that unique behavior, which is why we call them jumping worms. If they're just sitting there, they might be still, but if you poke them or touch them, they often flail around just like crazy, Uh, hence that name of uh, jumping worms that they're commonly called. And how are they traveling? Is it just from people moving them as they're doing yard work? Or how are they getting now that they are in Wisconsin? Yeah, for the most part, we think it has to do with human movement of soil. Uh, In a a more natural setting, um, if, if we as humans aren't doing anything, they're probably not spreading that far just because of limited mobility in the soil. Uh, Where we have big concerns, though, and this is probably how they have gotten moved around the state so effectively and efficiently, is humans moving them. That could either be juvenile or adult worms, or they actually overwinter in most cases as this life stage called a cocoon. It's just this little pod-like structure which will be in the soil. And so if you are digging up plants in a yard or in a given spot, or if you are moving soil or mulch that could have these worms or their cocoons in it, that is how we think they are really being spread around Wisconsin. How do they affect your grass? And also, can it hurt your pets if they eat one? I know my dog likes to eat dandelions a lot right now. So what happens if she eats one of these? How does that work? Yeah, well, for the the dogs, I really haven't heard of any um, medical concerns. You know, if you did see your pet eating a lot of earthworms in general, I would maybe reach out to your veterinarian and see if they have any advice. I personally have not heard of any uh, concerns along these lines, but you're absolutely right. Sometimes dogs do eat uh, a lot of stuff out there. Uh, In terms of the harm that they can do in a yard, uh, I have heard of some concerns in lawns, where I tend to hear more concerns and, and problems from jumping worms, though, would be in garden bed type settings. And a couple of reasons why these worms are so problematic. And the analogy I have in my mind, it, it's almost like you take your run-of-the-mill earthworm and you give it a triple shot of espresso. They seem to do everything faster, eating, reproducing, and so on. Most of our earthworms that we have are European species, and they have one generation per year. These are the the common larger earthworms we tend to think of in garden beds and and stuff like that. But these species from Asia, these jumping worms, 
they can go through not one, but two generations per year. So they're basically reproducing and reaching maturity twice as quickly. They can also occur in very, very high densities in the soil. And when they feed on organic material in the soil, it actually can alter and destroy the soil profile. And it can leave the soil kind of the consistency of dried, crusty coffee grounds. I have seen plenty of cases where these worms have been in the soil near perennial plants or even small shrubs or flowers, and it destroys the water holding capacity of the soil. So even though that gardener may be providing enough water with their hose and irrigating it, the soil just can't wick up that moisture and hold it there, and that plant struggles because of that. So that's a big concern we've had with these particular worms is damaging the soil structure, altering it so that it can't hold water very well. And that basically causes almost micro-scale drought conditions for those affected plants. So what measures can be taken to kind of reduce that impact if you do have them? Unfortunately, we don't have a silver bullet at this point in terms of how to eliminate them. Just as an example, there aren't any pesticides that are currently registered or labeled for use specifically on earthworms. We don't have anything along those lines. Historically, there had been particular fertilizer products that contain some other ingredients that happen to have some impacts on earthworms. Last time I checked, those were no longer on the market for home lawns and, and other turf grass settings. So our main messaging at this point is to try and reduce and limit the spread of these worms. And so along those lines, if you are considering getting some plants, make sure those plants come from reputable sources. Your neighbor may be giving away hostas or, or some other plants from their yard, but if there's a chance that they have jumping worms and you move those plants into your yard, you might be moving some jumping worms with those. Same kind of thing with soil and also compost and mulch. We know that these worms can be moved through movement of those types of goods. So if you are going to be getting a truckload of mulch or soil or similar materials this year, really call and chat with the provider that is bringing you your mulch or other materials and see what they have in store. We do know you can heat treat uh, compost, for example, to get things hot enough that can kill these worms. But otherwise, our main messaging at this point is to limit the movement of these sorts of materials so that we can reduce the spread of these invasive jumping worms. And now transitioning into another pretty timely topic, pollinators. They're going to be very active this time of year and just continuing to get active. Why is it important to promote pollinator habitats in general, but even more so timely now during the no mow may? Yeah, and when I think of pollinators, a lot of times folks may not realize this, but they can be out very early in the year. So I often see my first pollinators in March, sometimes even February, if we have a very, very warm spell. But they can be active from early spring all the way into fall, October and November sometimes. But when we get into this mid-spring period, late April into the month of May, we're at a time of the year where there's a lot going on in terms of pollinator and, and benefits from pollinators. So a lot of bees and other pollinators are active. They need resources such as pollen and nectar. And so providing flowers for them to be able to get that can really help them out. We know that pollinators are important uh, agriculturally, but also for other reasons. If you think of the agriculture here in the state, we have uh, a lot of fruit grown in some parts of the state up towards like Door County. Apple orchards are very common across much of the landscape of Wisconsin. Crops like that really need a lot of bees to be able to pollinate them. So I think we can definitely highlight the importance of them under situations like that. What efforts can be done to really support these pollinators? How does No Mow May really benefit that? Yeah, so No Mow May, I will say a lot of folks have really gotten on board with that general concept. 
I simply want to point out that nomo may is simply one way that you can uh, potentially provide some benefits to pollinators. So the concept of nomo may is to take your lawn or turf grass area and mow less frequently. Now, you don't necessarily have to uh, withhold mowing the entire month of May, especially if we have a very rainy season. If that grass gets really, really tall, that can be tough on it when you finally go to cut it down. But I think a key component of that idea is maybe allowing the lawn to get a little bit taller, but more importantly, and I think this is the key part here, tolerating some of those flowering weeds. So to us, we may look at a dandelion or clover, for example, and we may call it a weed. We don't necessarily want it in our lawn, but there's been some research by Jonathan Larson at the University of Kentucky that came out back in 2014 that found about 50 different species of bees and other pollinators going to dandelions and clovers in home lawns. And so an idea with this, no mow may, is again, mowing less, allowing those weeds to bloom in lawns. Uh, Those are some important things that you could do. Some other things that you could do in your own yard is if you're going to keep mowing, maybe just mow a little bit higher. Um, That can allow deeper root structure of your turf grass, allow for healthier uh, turf grass and, and a healthier lawn, but also can allow some of those weeds to bloom. In contrast, if you're mowing every single week or more than that, and you're really having a low mowing height, that's going to discourage some of those weeds and you're not going to be providing resources for pollinators. Now, I'm not here to tell everyone how their lawn should or shouldn't look. And so if you have a dense green, pure turf grass lawn, you know, that's perfectly fine. But there are some other things you could do, like increase the number of flowering plants in your yard in general, putting out uh, trees or shrubs or flowers or even garden vegetables that will provide some nectar and pollen for bees. Those are some other things that you can do as well. So there's really quite a a few things that we can all do to help out bees and other pollinators this time of the year. That was PJ Leash, state entomologist. If you're working on a backyard project that's requiring mulch or rootstock, make sure you're aware of the jumping worms and discuss it with people who are helping you to install these components to prevent the spread. From the Midwest Farm Report, I'm Charity Seebecker.